You're listening to The Pastor's Cut, a podcast from Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's material that influences, shapes, and informs, but gets cut from the final preach. That's why we started The Pastor's Cut, to give you a chance to go behind the scenes and access the content that informs the teaching at Park each week. If you're wanting to grow in your understanding of and fascination with the Bible, you've come to the right place. This is The Pastor's Cut. And we're your hosts, Sharon Brandis and Trevor Lovell. Hey, all Good to be with you today. We have Dan Osborne, one of the pastors here at Park with us. Dan, can you tell us a little bit more about what your role is and kind of how you've come to be at Park? So I am the location pastor up at the Forest Glen location on the northwest side of the city. And I've been there for about nine months now, came in last August, around last August. Yeah, and yeah, I've actually been on staff at Park for about four years now, from the Lincoln Park location to near north Saturday night for a couple of years and now that's right. Forest Glen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've really enjoyed it. And actually our my journey at Park, along with my wife's, is we were just attending for a while. For many years we were just just attending. Started at Near North, went down to be part of the Near South or the South of the Loop location when it first started. We were on that launch team, helped out with that. But, you know, through the course of, you know, God's kindness just went through being an attender, a partner, a small group leader, a resident, and now now on staff as one of the pastors. And so just seeing the Lord's hand through the whole process has been really cool for us over the last 11 years now at yeah. Park. Yeah, you've actually been a part of that for my own journey as well. I know when I was finishing up Bible college and seminary. I was your intern for a little bit and then uh, actually your resident in the, the the residency program on Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, it's been good. We miss you. Hope you're, <laughs> hope you're enjoying I, Forest Glen. I miss a lot of folks here. A lot yeah. of really cool people at, at Near North. Well, Dan, as Trevor mentioned last week, I was in Spain serving on one of our cross-cultural ministry t- trips. And so, I missed uh, all sermons this Sunday. So, could you just share a little bit about what passages you're preaching on, and give us a, just a brief summary of what takes place in Exodus. Sure. So I'm looking at chapter 3 and chapter 4 in Exodus, and I think the big theme that you see, it's really really twofold that you see in these chapters. The first one is this idea of Moses being, you know, he has an encounter with God at the burning bush. I think it's one of the most famous scenes in the book of Exodus. It comes up very you know, prominently in every major, you know, Hollywood movie about Moses' life. Like this mm-hmm. is this is the beginning piece and it sets the trajectory through the rest of the book of Exodus, really the rest of the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Old Testament, as it gives God's plan for, you know, Moses to be a deliverer of Israel from Egypt. And that act actually becomes the, the thing that is most often referenced in the rest of the Old Testament, this this point where God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. It is this incredible theme that works its way through all of Scripture, God rescuing and delivering His people from bondage, which is part of the reason why I think the storyline of Exodus itself is so compelling uh, to so many people, right? Because you, you have this idea of God rescuing, redeeming people out of out of bondage and freeing them into something else. Now, the question of what you're freed to is a whole other thing, which we'll explore in the series. But all of that kind of starts right here in chapter three with God's uh, encounter with Moses at the burning bush. 
and then you you see Moses being concerned about the slavery of his people. Like he's he knows this is an issue. This is one of the reasons why he's left. He knows it's a problem. The pro- the issue is he's not compelled to do anything about it, right? And so even it, while God says, "Here's what I want you to do," gives you know multiple things for Moses to do. He's not compelled to go out and actually do anything. He doesn't think he's the guy. So there's this chasm between being concerned and compelled. Uh, and I talk about how we experience the same chasm, concerned about an issue, not compelled to do anything about it. Ultimately, in chapter four, or through chapter four, what uh, helps bridge that gap for Moses is God's promise that comes up four or five times that I will be with you mm-hmm. over and over again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as a father of Christ, we have the same promise. Uh, in the Great Commission, Jesus says the same thing to us, you know, as he sends us out to all make disciples of all nations. Behold, I am with you, he says. Uh, it, and that's it's the same promise we have that helps move from being concerned about something to actually be com- being compelled to do something about it. Yeah. So this is a pretty big chunk of text. You know, chapters three and four. There's sure to be some things in here. What are some of the things that are getting cut from your final preach? Yeah. You know, I think a a big piece is this element of names. Names are a big deal in the book of Exodus, and you know, it's no surprise. In, in Exodus chapter three, you get God's divine name, like the most holy name for God, Yahweh, uh, the four Hebrew letters, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, uh, make up, make up this divine name. And why that's interesting is because, you know, the, the, the Hebrew title of the book is not Exodus. That's a Latin title for it, uh, that we get from, uh, the, the Catholic, the history of the Catholic church. Hmm. The Hebrew name is if you were to translate it, it's just these are the names. All of the the books in the Old Testament, their Hebrew names come from you know some word in the first line of the text. Yeah, so it's Exodus the, one one. Yeah, yeah, I mean Exodus is really the book of names. That's that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it's all about. And what what's fascinating there, right, is you look at who is named and who is not given a name in Exodus. And so you see it right away in chapter one. I think a lot of people get concerned with figuring out who is the Pharaoh, which Pharaoh is being talked about here. And while that's a good historical piece, I think we miss the point that Moses, as he writes this, intentionally does not give the most powerful person at that point in history. He doesn't give him a name, right? He's, he doesn't name Pharaoh. And yet you keep reading and you see who is named. It's, it's the, the people who are at the bottom of the totem pole, the, the midwives here, mm. they all get names. And a few other people, they get names. The, the women get names and no one else does in chapter one. And I think that it, it's supposed to be this slap in the face against Pharaoh. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you kind of expand that and to incorporate chapter three, uh, where God's name is given. You got to understand that the, in Hebrew mythology, Pharaoh was a god. He, he was a god. And so now you have the, the Egyptian, the high god represented in Pharaoh, who does not have a name. Mm-hmm. And in chapter three, uh, Israel's god, Yahweh, is, is given and is revealed that that is his, his divine name. And so it's this, uh, you know, th- this showdown that's being set up between Yahweh and, and Pharaoh, really. And you'll see that play out in, in the plagues. Uh, another, you know, interesting thing to note is while in, in Exodus, that's where you fir- God first reveals his name, Yahweh, but 
in Genesis, that name is used all throughout Genesis to talk about God. It's one, it's one of the ways that God is regularly talked about. Yahweh comes up in Genesis. So that Exodus, Exodus 3 is not the first time that Yahweh is used. This is the first time that he, he just reveals his name. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, something that's important about that is, you know, we often read Exodus almost like it's Moses' journal through the right. wilderness. It's not. It's not. We're, we're told in Deuteronomy, or we're, we're told later on in the Pentateuch that all of this is actually written down while Moses and the Israelites are in the plains of Moab waiting to enter into the, into the promised land. Mm-hmm. So he's, refle- he's writing these things, reflecting all of this, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's, he's writing all this right before they're about to enter into, into the promised land. And it's this you know, command that, look, you, you are going to remember what God has done for you. And this sets up, you know, the rest of the Old Testament history. Yeah. Have we seen any of the names uh, thus far in Genesis and Exodus, uh, a name change or a revealing to show God's redemptive work in anyone's life? Yeah, you do. You see that in a couple places in Genesis specifically. So uh, Abraham, or his, his name starts off in, uh, before chapter 11, it's Abram. Right or uh, it's it's Abram and then gets changed to Abraham. Right. I think around Genesis fifteen ish, Genesis uh, sixteen. It's the same thing with his wife Sarai to Sarah, and it's this it's this moment where where God has a significant interaction with them. I, I think maybe the most uh, important piece is when Jacob's name. You remember uh, one of uh, Abraham's offspring, Jacob. His name is changed to Israel, and now he, at the moment when he wrestles with God, around Genesis thirty-two. Yeah. And this, this is you know a representation of God's uh, very uh, direct engagement with somebody. Oftentimes, you'll see in in the scriptures a name change like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You started just by talking about how important names are, and I think that's what came to mind is that God. Mm-hmm uses our names mm-hmm. um even in our our own yeah. identities as we're yeah. daughters of the lord or sons of god yeah. uh our titles our identities yeah. mm-hmm. is really linked with him i i would think you know one of the a great you know bible study tool is always look at what the name of a character means mm-hmm. always look at what the name means because more so in hebrew culture than today there's a lot of meaning imported with names, and many times the names are actually prophetic. Yeah, uh, and into what this person is going to do. So Moses, he's named early on. Uh, Moses in Hebrew means he will draw us out, right? And that's, I mean, that's a depiction of what Moses is going to do. He's going to deliver the people yeah. uh, out of Egypt. And the same thing is, you know, with Jesus' name, right? It's it's literally given to Mary in a in mm-hmm. an angelic vision, right? That his name will be Yeshua or Jesus, which means God saves. Yeah. God is going to save the people through mm-hmm. Jesus. So you, you kind of see this this idea that names are incredibly important yeah. in all of scripture. Yeah. What else do you have? What else did I cut? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of things, plenty of things. <laughs> you know, another big one that, that I had to cut and just didn't really have time to deal with is this theme of God's uh, control or, you know, what's called God's sovereignty. So it's this idea that God is in control of all things that happen. Mm-hmm. And you see this tension starting to form right at the end of chapter three. And this is where Moses is receiving from God the, the, the plan that he is supposed to follow, that he's supposed to go after 
Uh, you know, God is going to use him to deliver the people of Israel. And God literally says, verse 19, he says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And it's this really fascinating theme that's introduced right here in chapter three. And it plays out a bit more in in the plague narratives that, that follow this. This idea that it doesn't matter what Moses says or what he does, it's not going to work on Pharaoh. It's not going to, like, Moses is not going to reason with Pharaoh enough. And you, you see this play out that ultimately it's because God is literally hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I think th- there's something that should be really concerning about that, that, you know, God is, is requiring that Pharaoh respond. And yet at the same time, he, he's preventing him from doing that. And then he's holding Pharaoh accountable for it. Right. And so it, it's just like, what, what do you do with that? What are you supposed to do with that? And this conversation often gets tied into uh, a debate about God's sovereignty or his control and human freedom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if Very God well. is sovereign, mm-hmm. are we just robots? That, that right. kind of idea. Mm. And what's interesting is you often don't see that tension. That's not really the tension you see play out in the Bible. The, the real tension is how, how is God sovereign and yet at the same time in a just way, how does he hold people accountable for doing something they could not but do? Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I think it's it's a really important question to look at mm-hmm. and wrestle with because you, you you're not going to see it here. You're going to see it, you know, if you read through the book of Isaiah. God is going to raise up the Assyrians to punish Israel mm-hmm. for their disobedience, and then mm-hmm. He's going to punish Assyria for punishing Israel. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Why that that doesn't make any sense? You, you'll see it all over the place, and this actually is the very question. And the very situation that Paul brings up in Romans chapter nine, mm. right? Where mm-hmm. he, you know, how can God harden Pharaoh's heart and then require him to do something that he can't do? Mm-hmm. Mm. In, you know, Paul's answer is <laughs> not super helpful because he always says <laughs> like, who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the reason I cut it from the, from, you know, the message and I'm not dealing with it is because I think, you know, We'll have to wrestle with it in much more detail later on in verse, in, when we get to Romans this fall, we're preaching through Romans, we'll get through chapter nine, we'll talk about it in detail there, but it's, it's not something that goes away, right? And it's more acutely felt, I think, in the next, in the next few chapters, God's sovereignty and human accountability. But it's, it's, it's something you see all throughout the Bible, and it kind of starts here in Exodus, right in chapter three. So we just talked about Pharaoh's heart being hardened and God's aware of that. Mm -hmm. Moses at the same time is being asked by God to do these certain things um, to try and compel Pharaoh to execute the Lord's will Mm -hmm. in the end, right? Um, But God's aware of Pharaoh's hardened heart and yet he's Mm -hmm. still telling Moses to do something. Mm -hmm. So if we take a step back and think about it in our own lives, let's say I'm praying about something that I want, uh, I want to ultimately accomplish God's will in my life, but I'm praying about something specific that I feel like God's asking me to obey. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's this third party where God is maybe changing uh, the, the, short-term outcome of yeah. what I'm asking for, what I'm called to obey. Can you talk more about how God yeah. is doing two things in yeah. two different lives? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I think this kind of speaks to the danger that we can run into when we 
inadvertently only pray for clarity on something from God. That God will give us clarity about what, what's happening. Less. Let me let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, a couple could be praying about you know going through an adoption process or a foster care process, and in you know my my wife and I are in this process right now. Hmm. And one of the things that can happen is you know you, you hit bumps in the road, or it seems like you know maybe the you know something doesn't work out, something falls apart. And we have come up with this whole vocabulary as Christians to talk about God, like changing, moving in different directions. And, you know, we'll see things like maybe he's shutting a door. Yeah. Um, and that could that could be happening in that situation where it doesn't work out. That's not necessarily what's happening, though. And when we only pray for clarity, a lot of times what we're asking for is God to reveal step five and six for us when we're only on step one and two. Hmm. And we what we actually need is not knowing what's going to happen or how it's going to work out. What we really need is to trust God right here for step one and two, and then three and four, and then five and six, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, because clarity that's can, really good. It can yeah. become an idol for us. And if we're not careful, what, we're saying, what we end up trusting more is clarity rather than God in the process. And Moses is in a process here. Like he, he doesn't know all of the, the, he doesn't know himself all of how this is going to play out. We have the benefit of reading the whole story right. and know, most of us know how this is going to end before we even sit down to, to read it or before we're going through the sermon series. Moses does not. He, he's in this place where, where he, and really the whole people of Israel through Exodus have to continually trust God daily Right, you, you see that worked out in Numbers with, with the whole idea of the book of Numbers with, with the whole idea of manna, God providing their, da- their daily need, right? And if they take more than what they need for that day, what they're saying is, God, we don't trust you to provide for tomorrow. Right? This is why Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, mm-hmm. um, right? This is what we need for today. We trust him for, the, you know, for, for right now. And when we don't hold you know, uh, conviction, with clarity, uh, or when we're not praying for conviction and rather only clarity, then I think we're missing this trust piece that often is what we need more than just knowing the end game. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I can imagine in your situation where you are you feel convicted by God to mm-hmm. foster or adopt or whatever the situation in anyone's life, maybe you feel that, that, that first conviction, mm-hmm. but when you're in that period of waiting, mm-hmm. when you're in steps two, three, yeah. four, and you're waiting for ultimately God's will, mm-hmm. you might think, did I hear God right mm-hmm. in the beginning? We start to doubt him, question him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, every day being reminded that mm-hmm. God will give you what you need for that day, that yeah. daily bread, and just keeping your heart aligned with that first conviction yeah. and, and it, obeying. And it doesn't mean that process is easy. It, yeah. so I don't at all want to indicate that, you know, just trusting, you know, God to bring conviction that you're following him, you know, right now, that's not, that's not an easy thing to do and it's not an easy place to live. But I think, I think there's a lot of joy ultimately in that being able to trust God right now. So we were talking a little bit before this about your, your third piece here, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. This yeah. is a tricky piece of scripture and you yeah. came up with something out of it. That's pretty good. Do you mind just sharing that? You know, there's this really weird passage uh, at the end of chapter four where Moses finally, he's like on his way back to Egypt uh-huh. and uh, God is going to like demand his life or the, the Hebrew text actually, it indicates he's going to take the life of Moses' firstborn son, which I think is less clear in the English. Mm-hmm. sounds like Moses is going to be killed himself. Um, it's this really weird passage, and right, and Moses' wife comes and has his son circumcised and presents the 
you know, mm-hmm. circumcision, the, the stuff at Moses' feet. Yeah. And it's a really weird passage. <laughs> you know, you, it's one of those things in the Bible where you just kind of scratch your head at and wonder, what on earth are we supposed to do with this? Yeah. Uh, but what, what's really powerful about that story is this idea that God takes his commands so seriously that he is not going to give his leaders, even his divinely appointed leaders, slack. He's gonna, he is going to demand the same kind of obedience of Moses that he's going to call Pharaoh to and then judge Pharaoh for not being obedient towards. Yeah. And so I think it's this, this picture, especially for people in leadership, that we, we don't get a special card or special grace just because we're in leadership or some of the things that God says don't somehow apply to us, right? There's, there's still this, you know, command that, that we ought to all be obedient to God. Mm. So it's, it, it's a very interesting passage and didn't get much time to address it at all. Yeah, that's powerful though. Yeah. But that's it. That's that's all I got off. <laughs> all right. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting things for us to think about and pray about as listeners. Well, I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Pastor's Cut. If you like what you're listening to, be sure to subscribe. And next week, we can't wait to have teaching pastor Steve Coble join us. We hope you can make it out to one of our locations this weekend on either Saturday or Sunday to catch the original sermon. We'll see you next week on The Pastor's Cut.